The Brad Sessmat Show, broadcasting live. Hi again, everybody. Welcome on in. It's a good day to be with you. I am actually putting this on tape because today is ASU Intern Day. Doesn't mean that I don't appreciate being with you in real time. It's just they want me to interview interns. It's funny about Intern Interview Day. I'll tell you more about how this will go. Um, and some other things in a minute. Opening comments are brought to you by Desert Financial Credit Union. Desert Financial Credit Union taking care of you, taking care of your business, as always and through the years. That is Desert Financial Credit Union. We appreciate Jeff Mishi and their support. Uh, I've been off. Appreciate Jordan Ham filling in. I went to Florida. I went to Naples uh, for a get-together with long-lost friends. Not lost, but just long-time friends. Naples is great. Naples is like going to Carlsbad. For those of you that have been to, to California, I have never been to Rocky Point. I hear Rocky Point's just fine. Never been there. No desire to go there, really. Um, I grew up in Carlsbad in that area, so Carlsbad's pretty laid back. Naples is pretty laid back. Played some golf, watched the Super Bowl. Um, really enjoyed the time. And then came back here to find out that... Uh, I don't know. Last night I watched, I don't know why I found myself watching the Suns just destroy the Pistons. It actually was entertaining with Devin Booker being thrown out of the game. And and I think the bigger form of entertainment was before the game that Isaiah Stewart, what a dope. So if you didn't hear the Suns, um, Drew Eubanks and Isaiah Stewart before the game even starts in the tunnel, whatever, before they're even getting changed. They get into it, and uh, and Isaiah Stewart gets arrested by Phoenix police. Like Monty Williams has to be going. What did I do? I, on one hand, he's the highest paid coach in the NBA now. Monty Williams is. He has the worst of the worst team, and he comes back to Phoenix a day of love, a day of you know peace, celebration of love, and it's the same day that he's got to bring his team here to get destroyed and mauled by the Suns. That game was over at the opening. T- that game was over when they did the starting lineups. That game was so over. Um, even though the final score was a 16-point margin, it was much, much greater than that. But I watched the game. Um, I did see the Suns. When did I see them during the break? Oh, I saw the, the Steph Curry game winner. Yeah, I did see that. It's fine. There's there's some entertaining moments now. As mentioned, now the trade deadline is behind us. Now you start to, okay, start to lean in a little bit more. You don't get caught up in worthless games in December and November and late October that mean nothing. Um, so uh, watching them do their thing last night. I saw a little bit of the Arizona State game last night. Arizona State game. Uh, is this typical Bobby Hurley where they start to make a push late in the season? And now they go to Tucson. They should get destroyed at Tucson. They really should. If you're a U of A fan, you know and I know that I'm right on this. However, let's just see how the game goes. You know, there's some intrigue about with, with Arizona. It doesn't matter what they do in the regular season. If you're a Wildcat fan, you know I'm right on this. They're supposed to win. They're supposed to win by 30. And it doesn't mean anything in February because when you get into March Madness, playing basketball, you got to do this, right? You got to shoot. You can't play the game like this. 
you know, both both hands around the neck, which is what U of A did in the tournament. You can't do that. You understand it's this. It's not this. So it doesn't matter what U of A does. For ASU, are they turning the corner and figuring things out? Jamai O'Neill comes off the bench, has a nice game for them. I am going to watch Caitlin Clark tonight. I don't know about you, but I am caught up in Caitlin Clark and everything that she is doing. Um, it's it's a uh, you know eight points shy of the NCAA scoring record. She can take it all down tonight, and and I'm caught up in what she's all about. I wish the Mercury had a chance to nail her uh, to come here, but um, that's that's where we are. Tiger Woods is at the Genesis this week. Tiger Woods at the Genesis. That is interesting to me. The Genesis is where he rolled his vehicle. And now he's back playing. And anytime Tiger shows up on the tour, um, I have to lean in a little bit. I was on the phone yesterday with some people around the WM Open. This is a larger conversation. But I will tell you that the bleep show that people are like, oh, my gosh. This is, this, is, uh, this is the worst thing ever that is happening. It's been going on for years. And there is an air of arrogance that we are never going to get shut down here for everything that we do. I don't know about you, but when the CEO of WM is on CNBC talking about quarterly earnings, talking about business stuff, and they ask him right off the top about how are you going to get your golf tournament under control, that's never good. That's never good. You can't just laugh it off. When you decide to have people do viral videos by rolling down a hill because they think it's really cool and really funny and that's what your golf tournament's turned into, okay, that's your golf tournament. Oh, well, it's just a couple. No, it's not. It's not. This is a, and I enjoy the tournament. I know what it means in the community. But yeah, it's to a point where I don't go Friday and Saturday. I don't need to be a part of that. Even if somebody offers me a suite, I don't need to be a part of that. Just don't. Um, doesn't mean it's going to go away, but now they've got to dial it back. And that's just part of growth. You know, this will be, a, they will say things like this will be a learning curve. Just like two years ago when fans at 16 were throwing stuff on the green. So how do you put it all back in a box? Oh, and by the way, the non-story story is Adam Silver saying, yeah, Las Vegas is, we're considering Las Vegas as an expansion site. Of course you are. And LeBron will go there and Bronny will come out and Bronny will end up somehow in Las Vegas. And that's how the story is going to go. So I feel much better now. Devin is at Daytona, Devin Henry. We send Devin Henry to Daytona. We don't just talk about stuff. We do. Those who can do, and we do, and we'll go to Devin next. Then Eric Burns. Eric Burns has a new book out. Eric Burns is wild card. I want to talk to him about spring training and all that stuff too. So Devin Henry and Eric Burns, that's next. All right, as promised, Devin, I've been telling you, of course, is out on the road. Thanks to our friends over at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, with their race coming up in March and, of course, championship race. No one knows what's going on in the sport of speed, as I like to call it, inside and out around Arizona than Devin. Devin Henry was out in Los Angeles for the clash that was rained on. Uh, you are not getting rained on at Daytona. Where are you right now at Daytona? It looks like you're right there in the middle of it all. 
I'm in front of about 100 to 1,500 seats <laughs> that will be filled on Sunday. I tell you what, Brad, there's nothing. I mean, what, the Super Bowl had 62,000, something around that number? Uh, so yeah. this is a pretty, pretty wild stage. The first year that we came here for Sports 360 AZ two years ago, um, I mean, obviously, this is kind of my life. I've been around racing my entire life. And I knew the whole time, because we're here Tuesday through Sunday, that, hey, you know, this is a big deal. This is a lot of fun. It didn't hit me till Sunday, looking out into this crowd with 101,000 people staring down at you that this is this is quite the big deal that everyone makes it out to be. So just excited to be here and glad that uh, being Traceway and you, too, are uh, high enough to help us get back out here today, Daytona. Yeah, we try to make it work. It's the Great American Race. Devin is in the middle of it. The race is this Sunday at Daytona International Speedway, 200 laps around they go. There's a break in the middle on this one, right, Devin? Yep, so they have stage racing. So there's two breaks, stage breaks. So they have stage one, stage two, and a longer stage three. And so uh, you can go get your beers. You can go and uh, hang out a little bit. The fan zone here is incredible. The first year I showed up, and there was at least like 80 cornhole, like, boards that you could play on and those are all filled up at like nine in the morning and it's a big party out here for the most part and then everyone comes up and, and sits at the race and yeah is it is it like uh phoenix raceway where they have their own motorhome area and everybody just hangs out is it the exact same layout so to speak and family and culture at daytona as it is here in phoenix seven well, the culture and family, of course, is the same. It's, it's the same kind of family across the nation when you talk about NASCAR and, if, and the people, especially in the campgrounds. But Phoenix is just one mile in length, the track is. And so, especially with all the renovations, the $178 million that they put into the track a handful of years ago, the infield is no longer camping. Here, you can't walk on grass without running into 20 dudes and all their best friends, having a good time camping out in the infield and on top of their RVs and whatnot. So... There's a ton, a ton, a ton more camping over here. And, I mean, you see the wildest stuff. People have, like, replica show cars from back in the day that they use. There's there's an ice cooler in the trunk, and there's there's seats over in the hood. And you see the craziest kind of setups here at Daytona. This is the epilogue of racing in so many different facets. And the fans come out in full, in full force and remind you of that as you're driving through, trying to get to your parking spot and driving through all the RVs. Devin Henry's with us. He's at Daytona. Thanks to our friends at Phoenix Raceway. We appreciate their support. Daytona 500 comes up this Sunday. Devin on the ground doing his thing. You can check out his content on the site. Most popular driver, past or present, who is being honored by fans. Who's got like the gear on the most from <laughs> the fans that you see, Devin? Well, I tell you what, I was actually just in a press conference with the team Richard Petty. And they just unveiled a giant six-foot replica of hang this on, legendary... Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're muffled all of a sudden. Are you covering oh, wow. it? I moved my hand. You got me now? Now you sound better, so continue. Okay. Continue. Okay. I, I teach all my kids at Cronkite. This is how you hold a phone microphone so that you can, you can do it correctly. Uh, but I was just in a press conference with uh, Richard Petty, actually. And they have a replica of his legendary hat. Everyone knows the king's hat. Yeah. And they're going to have that every single NASCAR race. It's a six-foot-tall replica of his hat. And so it doesn't matter how old the fan is. It doesn't matter where they are in the country. There's always Richard Petty gear. And then, of course, we get the return of seven-time Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson. So Jimmy Johnson here at the Daytona 500 is kind of a big deal, too, a multi-time winner of the Great American Race. So a lot of him as well. And then, of course, Dale Jr. still gets his 
everything, but uh, Chase Elliott, probably the current driver, as most notably, probably gets the most most looks, and probably Kyle Larson, too. He gets a lot, a lot of good stuff here as well. When you talk about Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who won it last year, how does he look coming into this season? Anything different with him? Well, you know, it's really comparable between Ricky and then Glendale, Arizona's Michael McDowell, the previous two of the last three winners of the Daytona 500, two complete underdog teams. I mean, this isn't something like in pro sports where you're ready for the Detroit Pistons to come out and fight for a championship here in the NBA. That, that's not how underdogs work in NASCAR. It's the ability for a racetrack like this, the cars the way they're built like this, to give guys an opportunity to race with the guys who have maybe more money in the engine, maybe have better job in the suspension, more guys working on the body, things like that. And both Ricky and Michael, who are great super speedway racers, struggled in the playoffs last year. So they're trying to work through everything, get back in this offseason. And the biggest thing for guys like Ricky, you know that you've won it before. You know that you can come here and win it. Last year taped on the car, it was signed, we believe, by the crew. They believed, they came, they conquered. Brad Doherty and the rest of the program is a Tona 500 champion. So hmm. a lot of similar spots for underdogs like that where you know that you can come and win here and you are set up. This is the most important race. The next three, four weeks, don't get the preparation that this Daytona 500 does. Kyle Busch last year won under yellow, did not win under checkered. Kind of an interesting story there about him coming into this race. Kyle has almost a new dynamic after last year. Last year was the first time in many, many years that he was not with the coach, Joe Gibbs, and Joe Gibbs Racing, instead moving over to Richard Childress Racing, who owned the former car of Dale Earnhardt Sr. So a lot of connections for him, but... Last year, I know that Super Speedway Racing, not his favorite, but he came out strong early last year, won at Fontana, which was the third race of the season. And this year, you expect them to come out hard again, but not necessarily similar to Ricky Stenhouse Jr., but similar enough where postseason did not meet expectations. Now's the time to come out, race at Daytona, and put yourself back in that threshold of, yes, we're going to be contenders again, but now we got to do that through the whole year. What about the uh, the Charles Barkley, so to speak, of racing at this track? Guys that are O for Daytona, you know, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Truex yeah. Jr., Keselowski, guys that have never won here. Do you sense when you're around them that it weighs on them? And like Charles, he says, oh, it never bothered me. I didn't win a championship. I call bull on that. <laughs> How about these drivers? Does it bother them they have not won at Daytona? Well, I mean, look at this. How could you not love winning here in front of 101,000 people? This is something that, I mean, Michael McDowell's won two races in his career. Yeah. But the Daytona 500 means something. When you win the Daytona 500, that puts you in a catalog of NASCAR that is exclusive. That makes you a legend of the sport. So right now, I think Kyle Larson is the greatest race car driver on this planet. And he does not enjoy super speedway racing. So I know that, you know, maybe it doesn't bug him that he hasn't been in victory lane yet. But for every race car driver, whether you're an IndyCar driver, uh, the F1 guys know what Daytona is. Kyle Larson wants that Daytona 500 trophy on his trophy case. He might not love racing here. He might not really enjoy the preparation for a big week like this, but he wants that. You know that these guys want to go out and win those kinds of races. And the Charles Barkley, I feel like, is Kyle Larson. He has won almost everything in the sport in numerous other forms of motorsports except for this race. So... I don't know if Kyle's going to get it done, but someone like Brad Keselowski, who knows just how vital this race is, who is now also a part-time team owner with Roush Fenway, as in yes, Fenway Park, Keselowski Racing, 
they've been really, really good as of late. Chris Buescher was very good on super speedways last year. I think that if there is a Charles Barkley to win that championship finally, it's going to be Brad Keselowski. All right, I'll get you out of here off of this. What are you going to do on race day? What does race day look like for Devin? How early do you get there? And maybe even leading up to it, some things you want to accomplish at the speedway before the race, but in particular race day, what's it look like for you? Well, today was discovering uh, the Orlando, DeLand, Deltona, Daytona area. So saw some gators, saw some cardinals, saw some scrub days, uh, saw a bird eating a snail out of a shell. Uh, so that was today. We were trying to make sure that any track we go to, you got to experience it, right, Brad? When you went to Milwaukee. Yes. Maybe a bad example, Milwaukee. But no, Milwaukee is a bad example, to. Devin. Milwaukee <laughs> is a bad example. Don't compare <laughs> Milwaukee to Daytona. And I like I'll the people in Milwaukee, but it wasn't even close. So, not, not Texas for the Rangers either. I guess maybe not every place has this kind of feeling, but when you visit Central Florida – got to experience Central Florida, right? So we got to do that today. We'll head to Daytona Beach where the race used to be held back in the 50s tomorrow. Um, but Sunday is rest day. I, we're going to have a, a numerous interviews. We're going to chat with Alex Bowman from Tucson, Arizona. He has been on the front row more than any other driver in NASCAR. That'll be on the side in the next couple of days. We'll talk to Armani Williams. He's here in Daytona trying to make his first Xfinity Series start. We had the documentary on him. We've caught up with him a few times. A proud sponsor of his is Visit Mesa. So We'll talk to Armani. We'll talk to Leland Honeyman Jr., Phoenix native, who was raised in North Carolina. He's now trying to make his first time, uh, first full-time series in the Xfinity Series. So Sunday, I'm done working, Brad. Sunday is my day to sit back and watch the race. We'll go and circle the whole infield and film and take pictures. We'll be in victory lane. But Sunday is the day where the hard work is done. It's time to enjoy and reap the be- the benefits of being at one of the largest venues or one of the biggest events in all sports. All right. Well, you do it well. Be brilliant. Continue with your brilliance. I'll let you go off that. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. See you, uh, I don't know, in a couple weeks or something. J- just send the check and I'll have it. You you got it. It'll, it'll be there. <laughs> the Great American Race. Devin Henry is there. Thanks to our friends at Phoenix Raceway. And we're back with more after this timeout. All right, as promised, it's great to see a familiar face. That would be Eric Burns. Diamondback fans know all about Eric when he was here, and he's moved on, done the work on television. He was with the Bananas. He's an author. He's doing all sorts of cool things. I want to have him on for a few minutes. For our audience that is in the spring training mode, Eric can give you a guide, so to speak, I'm sure, of things uh, around the spring training place. It is good to see you. Do you have the book in front of you, by the way, Let Them Play? Do you have, a, do you have anything around you that has – just hold it up, you know? Yeah, there it is. Here it is, Brad. Yeah, this is exactly um, what I've been working on over the past year. And I, you know, long story short is I had the opportunity to coach the Savannah Bananas, and then I had the opportunity to create a travel ball uh, team originally, and then that team branched out to be an organization. And I think with it is, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I always knew that, when I was a kid and when I was getting coached up where I got the freedoms to be able to go ahead and try things and, and fail, uh, that's where I felt like the most amount of growth actually happened. Yet in today's world, especially the travel ball world, we're trying to micromanage every single move of these kids. And uh, the reality is that, I don't even know if coaches are intentionally doing it, uh, nor do I think they're even doing it like to, to 
uh, you know, help. They're doing it to satisfy their own egos. And they're doing it because they have to prove their worth, whether they're charging money for their organization or whatever it is. So what happens is you just get these kids that are overcoached. But again, through my experience with the Savannah Bananas and watching what they do and watching the way they go about their business and, you know, being a part of that and encouraging that and encouraging them to do these trick plays and encouraging them to don't be afraid to, to fail because this is one of those things where we can laugh it off and we can also learn from it. And so I took that same approach into let them play, which is our national travel ball organization. And, Ironically, we had two top national teams last year by approaching real baseball, yeah. right, with the with the same philosophy. So, it, you know, overall, it's a it's a playing, parenting, and coaching guide to use sports. There's 22 codes of conduct that we expect from our players, we expect from our coaches, and we expect from parents. And I think parents get a free pass all the time, where you have all these. Okay, this is how you should be a great player, and this is how you should be a great coach. Well, who's teaching us how to be great parents, Brad? Who, who, like, where's, where's the manifesto for that? Where, you know, here's all these coaches saying, Hey, you know, make sure you don't talk to your kid or you don't do this. But yeah, make, make that make sense to me. Right. Like make that make sense because what if I can help my kid? And so I think ultimately, um, you know, each kid is individual. Uh, each each parent sort of is in, individual. And, you know, when it comes to guidelines and, and everything else, but overall, there's some real general principles that we must all adhere to if we want to ultimately get the most out of our kids. That's it. The book is out. Let them play. Hold it up again, because I just want people. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Just like that's that. you can. That's go. pretty cool. We ha- we have a uh, we have a couple of quotes back here. One of them from Troy Gloss, former longtime major leaguer. Yeah. John Gall, president of USA Baseball. Tom Grieve. This, I just read this actually on my Daily Hustle podcast, Brad. And, you know, I just try to promo the book one way or another. Yeah, sure. The first, the first time I read this, it brought a tear to my eye. He says, this is Tom Grieve, Mr. Ranger. He says, I completely endorse the LTP program. Serious players looking to compete at the highest level and grow their game will thrive. Eric Burns challenges every player in a fun and positive way. His energy and love for baseball combined with a background, thorough knowledge of every aspect of the game and his ability to teach it, make him the best youth coach I have seen. I wish I was a kid again so I could play for myself. That's Tom Grieve. <laughs> I like tears. I literally like tears. I'm not kidding. Tears yeah. came down my eyes when I read that for the first time. It's just pretty cool. The uh, do you have a moment where you look back when you played? Let's go with the Diamondbacks. Where you wish you would have screwed around more? Do you wish you would have had more freedom, or was it ingrained in you a little bit because you were a free spirit when you were here, right? But did you yeah reins on you when you're with the Diamondbacks? So ironically, I had the reins on me when I was with Oakland, and so playing for the A's, you feared making a first pitch out. If you mm. swung at the first pitch and made it out, it was the end of the world. Mm. Uh, you know, And that was just their philosophy. They wanted you to see a bunch of pitches. If you made an out on the base pass, uh, it was over. Like, do not make an out on the base pass. And there's certain things about that like I can respect and I understand because – if you do, like, outs are the most precious resource that we possess. In a youth baseball game, you only have, what, the 18 of them. In a, in a big league game, you have 27 of them. You need to protect outs at all costs. But at the same time, you have to understand that if you play scared and, and you're scared to get caught stealing, you're scared to take a, a swing at a pitch, 
that happens to be a first pitch or a 3-0 pitch or whatever else and make it out, you're doing yourself and the team a disservice. And that's what I learned through playing for Bob Melvin, who was the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. When I got to Arizona, I think the year before, and don't quote me on the numbers, but let's just say I stole like 19 out of 20 bases, right? And when I got to Arizona, Bob said, I want you stealing every time you get on base. Don't be scared to make it out. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So I went out and stole, let's say, 25 out of 26 bases that year. And then it was the next year where he said, you didn't listen to me. Steal every chance you got. And so then I went out to the next year and stole 50 bases. And that was only through Bob Melvin, who I would say is the greatest manager that I ever played for, him giving me the freedoms and liberty to go out there. And the other thing is, is that swinging at an O pitch or swinging at a 3-0 pitch, you get ahead of the count. And sometimes, again, like you're like, well, a walk is just as good as a hit. And you're like, no, that's not true. Whoever told you that's BS. A hit is way better than a walk just for the mere fact that if you have somebody on base, you can advance that person multiple bases. So I'll give you an example in the travel ball team that we run. Every kid has a green light to go. Every single one of them. I don't care if it's the slowest kid on the team. The, the rule is this, though. Get a lead, get a jump, go. If you don't have a lead and you don't have a, a jump, don't go. So then I instruct the hitters. I said, look, if he has a great lead and a great jump and you have a fastball down the middle, what do you want me to do? And the initial you know, thing would be, and how they were taught is, I want you taking the pitch. Yeah. Like, No. I why would I want you taking this pitch that you could hit into the gap and let's just say go off the 90 foot thing and get 180 feet. And with that guy stealing, he's going to go another 90, 90, another 180 to at least get the third, if not come all the way home. Why? So we're going to take that pitch. No, if you have that pitch to hit, drill it, put it into the gap like you should. And so it's constantly the philosophy is run and hit. And we're going to continue to keep pressure on you. We're going to continue to go. I don't care who it is. Now, ironically, Brad, we got a couple uh, We got a couple studs on our 12U national team from Arizona. Hmm. And good, good kid. One kid by the name of Teo, and the other one's Frankie. And these kids have been, kids have been awesome. And, and, you know, just really, really grateful for the opportunity to coach them and, What's cool is that when I coach a kid like a Teo or a Frankie, these AZ boys, they haven't experienced that much before where they're used to being more overcoached. And, you know, again, they've done a great job with, with both of us. So I don't want to diminish what they've done with their local teams, but I love to see the kids' faces when we tell them we don't have signs. <laughs> and, and it's just like, wait, what? Yeah, we don't have signs. That's it. If you get a lead, you get a jump, you go. If you're at bat, you get 3-0, you have the green light. But I tell them, with great freedom, Brad, comes great responsibility. Yeah. So if you're going to swing a 3-0 pitch over your head and pop it up to the catcher, we're going to have a conversation. Yep. It's not, it's not going to be you know, me coming down on you or letting the hammer or anything, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like, okay, look, this is, this is why we need to make sure we get a good pitch to hit in that situation. 
Before I get you out of here, the name of the book is Let Them Play. It is now out. Eric Burns with us for a few minutes. And it's good stuff that you can pick up. Uh, fans are watching this across the country. We're on a bunch of networks. So they've not experienced spring training. They're sitting there freezing their backsides off in Cleveland or Cincinnati or, or Kansas, wherever. Uh, coming over from the coast and all that. As a player, what did you like most about spring training in Arizona, Eric? What are some hidden gems, some hidden secrets to eat, play, hike, whatever? I mean, where do you want to start the hiking? Camelback. Uh, we, we, we could start with that. The ballparks, I would say, hit a different ballpark up every single day. My favorite, I, it's it's got to be Scottsdale Stadium. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's so convenient. It's down there. It's the Giants. I grew up rooting for the Giants. Uh, but the, I went to the Cubs facility for the first time last year. What a special place that is. Uh, the A's we hit up as well. Every year we take the team down there. We go play in a tournament during spring training. And to watch the boys interact with the the guys in the bullpen. And I mean, it's the last year. There's like, I don't know. Uh, five or six of our let them play kids literally hanging out in the Cubs bullpen. Just right there. Just, just like, they're, they're playing catch back and forth with the Cubs. It's like, where else are you going to get this? You, yeah. You're just, you're just not. So yeah, it's a, uh, if you haven't been to spring training, you got to go. Uh, it, it's a mandatory trip. I know that we we've done for the past probably four years since we started the let them play uh travel ball teams and uh, it's uh, these are experiences that these kids will never forget for the rest of their lives all right before i get you out of here then uh where do people find more about let them play the book the travel ball club yeah so you could go to ericburns.com if you want to get it right now e-r-i-c-b-y-r-n-e-s.com or like most people if you're uh, an Amazon junkie, just go there and pre-order it. It should be out in like within like the next week. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Amazon.com. Let them play a parenting and coaching guide to youth sports. And, you know, look, Brad, I, I just want to say that I, I wrote the book, but this book was a compilation of, of years of experience. And, sure. and there's so many other people that contributed, literally contributed to, to this, whether it was Troy Gloss or John Gall or Tom Grieve or like people who have been around the organization and helped us together uh, come up with these philosophical approaches that we take uh, with the travel ball organization. So just real grateful for the, to those people. And if nothing else, like if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're a player, it, it, it's a must read. It, it really is. Like this is my fourth book. And I, I can tell you that of, of all, and I've, I love the other ones, the effort list, daily hustle, two twenty two on filter life guidance from human crash, just dummy. And I did a graphone <laughs> across America, picture book, uh, coffee table book. This is the most impactful. This is the one that it, it's just, it, it, it's only hundred pages, hundred pages gets right to it. Uh, complete with the, let them play creed, uh, as well as the 22 codes of conduct. Good stuff. I'll see you. Uh, when are you coming out here? You're coming out for spring training? You're going to bring the team out? You guys out at all or you already been here? I, I am. No, we're, co we're coming out for spring training. We'll be there for a, a week during the middle of March, my man. All right. We'll see you then. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Eric. All right, Brad. Thanks, dude. Here's Eric Burns. And we're back with more after this timeout.